This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Joining us now, prior to the uh, series starting with the Cincinnati Reds uh, over at Chris Field, is Danielle Allen Tuck, the Rockies beat writer at the Denver Gazette. Make sure you follow her at D underscore Allen Tuck. And, and, and Danielle, last time that we had a chance to talk to you, thanks for joining us. Uh, the Rockies were really spinning their wheels. And even though they did uh, lose two of three to the, the Phillies, they recover with a 4 0 shutout yesterday. A great performance by Kyle Freeland, who has been playing great. And inexplicably, almost, given the fact that this team is not distinctly different than they were when they were 8-20 and 20 at the tail end of, of uh, April, now they are 17-24, and 9-4 in that span. What has been the difference for this team? Honestly, they're just hitting better. They're playing better overall. They're pitching better, which doesn't make a lot of sense given some of their injuries. And they're playing cleaner defense. So, overall... Given everything that's gone wrong for this team so far in terms of injuries, they are just playing that much better right now. It's as simple as that. Yeah, I, I think it is. I was out there uh, Saturday night, and even though they lost uh, the ball game, they got down 4 nothing in the first inning, and they were scrappy. They got back to 4-3, made it a ball game, and uh, uh, Bryce Harper did his thing as he had done the night before in the late innings, and uh, the Phillies ended up winning 7-4. to but it looked like, uh, and I wouldn't even call it bad luck, I'd, I'd call it, you know, as scary a situation as I've seen in a long time on a baseball field when uh, uh, a drive came back and uh, hit Feltner in the head and from 30 rows up behind the first base dugout, I could hear the ball make contact with his skull. And uh, in this case, uh nobody's fault, certainly not the hitter's fault, certainly not the pitcher's fault. There was no way he could have gotten out of the way as hard as that ball was hit. But uh, maybe he and the Rockies uh, got a break in the sense that though it's a fractured skull and that's certainly uh, not an insignificant injury, um, that, that those are the kinds of plays that I you're surprised you don't see more often. One, and they can be career-ending uh, plays, even life-threatening uh, kinds of situations. So uh, maybe maybe the Rockies finally got a little bit of a break uh, on that one and, of course, came back and uh, got a great start from Freeland yesterday. Yeah, I mean, in the, in the grand scheme of life, Feltner coming out of that was only a concussion and skull fracture. Right. It, it's kind of right. the best thing that you could ask Absolutely. For, right? I'm glad you said that. <laughs> More, I was trying to be careful in the way I phrased that, but you're exactly right. That was actually a best-case scenario. Yeah, and I mean, he's, he's sitting up, he's talking to his teammates. Like, hot, like, his brain will be okay. It will heal from that. You know, baseball is going to take a while to come back, but – he will be okay, and that's kind of all that matters right now and is all the team cares about right now. But, you know, Kyle Freeland, like you said yesterday, he had a phenomenal start on his birthday. He's kind of been the rock this year. He had one, two iffy starts, but besides that, it's been incredible. I would say he's in line to make the all-star game if he keeps playing like this, and they really need him to keep playing like this if they have any chance of being decent this year. I mean, he's the rock on the field. He's a leader in the clubhouse, yeah. and he's just sort of – held things together. I mean, he cares 
so much about this team, regardless of how things are going on the field. Um, I don't know if you guys saw the video of the brawl yesterday, but he yeah. came running out of the training room because he was like, I have to go defend my boys. Yeah, I have right. to be there with right. them. Right. And uh, the fact that he is so clearly competitive and obviously cares uh, in, in a way that hates to lose, hates to lose, uh, in a way that I, I don't know uh, if any other Rocky projects in quite the same way. Uh, but it, it, if if you could, from your experience as you've watched him evolve, and, of course, he had the great year in 2018, and it's been a struggle for him in the intervening years, now he seems to be back at least close to that kind of form again. How his leadership, I mean, this is a pitcher we're talking about, who is out there once every five days, but he really is uh, at least the de facto leader of the ball club, if not officially so. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely one of them. I wouldn't say he's the overall leader of them. I think there are a couple in that clubhouse. But I think the difference between Kyle now and Kyle a couple years ago, he's always had that competitive fire. You're exactly right. But I think he's kind of learned when to use it, if that makes sense. You know, he knows he needs it on the mound. He knows he needs to channel it. But he's never the type of guy who is so competitive, he'll get mad at a defender for missing an easy play. You know, he'll never, you know, call out a teammate for doing something that Dave should have done that maybe would have saved a run or two for his ERA. You know, he's always supporting his teammates. He's always being like, it's okay, like maybe try doing this next time, you know, and they all respect him for that. And I think that's really helped them come together as a team. The other thing about Phelan that has really impressed me, you know, he two starts. And in one of those, by the way, which was a win in, in early May, uh, he's only in two of his starts gone fewer than six innings. And that is obviously an immense deal in Coors Field, especially where bullpens can get chewed up. And he's gotten stronger as it's gone. In the three starts in May, his ERA is a, a nice even one. I mean, that's extraordinarily impressive. So Freeland doing his job. But this team is also getting some offensive turnarounds from guys that did not start so well. A Jerickson Profar out in left had a pretty rough uh, April out here in May, he leads the team in OPS with 872, and and the strikeouts uh, have plummeted. Seven walks to eight Ks. Some of these veteran guys, uh, especially in the outfield, seem to be turning things around. What are you seeing from from the veteran part of that leadership? The Profars, the Bryants, the Gritchicks, the Blackmans, the guys that have been around and, and have sort of weathered these storms in being able to tell some of the younger guys that that bad, bad start doesn't necessarily have to doom you. Yeah, and I mean, I think when you just look at Charlie Blackman and Chris Bryant especially, I mean, they've been through so much in their careers. And the two of them have kind of always had, like, the consistent mentality of, like, it was a bad game, move on. But those two have just kind of quietly been doing it all season and just kind of because the rest of the lineup hasn't and hasn't really made an impact. Randall Grichik has made a huge impact since he's come off the injured list. I would argue he's probably the biggest difference for the Rockies right Agreed. now. Agreed. You're right. Just, just his consistent mentality. I mean, I think he only has like two games about a ball side hit game since he's come back in the beginning of May. I mean, he's just been stellar. Um, and they're just kind of setting the example. And it's really helped that some of those younger guys have started to come on and kind of mold into the lineup with those veterans. I mean, Brenton Doyle and Ezekiel Tobar have both really shown that they are major leaguers now and they fit really well in. With Defensively, to be sure. Defensively, to be sure. Yeah. They're, they're, they're I mean, terrific. Brenton Brendan Doyle, especially. I mean, I've I've seen him play for years, but some of these plays he made have been incredible. Just things that you don't even see veterans center fielders make. Doyle uh, is hitting two oh five on the year again, according to your guy. Small sample size, we get all that. Uh, when you look at, however, one of the more significant players that expected to be better, 
What is going on with Ryan McMahon, who is just having an abysmal season? He's already struck out 51 times in 142 at-bats. I mean, that is borderline unsustainable. What's What do you see that's wrong there, and is there reason to believe that he can turn it around? I think that you – I think of Ryan McMahon, we don't quite know what his feeling is yet. So I don't know if he can turn around. I mean, we've never seen him be more than just an average hitter, 20 home runs, Point two fifty zero batting average. We've never seen him eclipse that. This year, I, I can't even tell you. I mean, I think he's getting way into his own head. I mean, it's not even just a striking out. You know, he's being okay on defense. He's definitely not as crisp as we've seen him in past years. But he's made base running mistakes that I've never seen him make. I don't even know if I've seen other major leaguers make where he's just running when he shouldn't be, getting caught stealing, you know, getting picked off. And just things that you don't see a guy like Ryan McMahon make. So, I don't know what's going on, and I think that maybe it's the pressure getting to him. He puts a lot of pressure on himself because he feels like he's one of the leaders on the team, but he's not hurt. He just can't put it together right now. I This slump has gone on way longer than I think anybody expected, especially me. So, I mean, I think if we don't see it turn around soon, I would start getting really concerned. I, I was going to ask you the, the same question but I'll I'll pose it in a slightly different way. Um, He's been kind of an enigma for me, so I was watching him, especially at the plate the other night with particular interest from a pretty close vantage point. And uh, the swing he made on the extra base hit down the right field line, and that's a beautiful swing. And I I was sitting to uh, uh, the right of, of the fellow who uh, brought me to the game with him and is a season ticket holder and probably sees 45, 50 games a year. And I, I said, how is this guy hitting 220 with, with that swing? I mean, it's, it's, and you're, I mean, you hit on it. I'm sure it's, uh, you know, it's the old Yogi Barrel line. 90% of the game is half metal. I mean, it's, it's gotta be psychological more than ever anything else, but, Someone with a swing like that, there isn't anybody on this team right now with a more beautiful swing than Ryan McMahon has, but there seems to be a hole or two in yeah, in his I hitting just, profile. Yeah, his swing is beautiful. His mechanics are fine. He's not even necessarily being like too late or too early. I think it's just that he's not able to read pitches right now, and that's why his strikeout rate is so high. We're talking with Danielle Allen Tuck of the Denver Gazette, and, and let's look at some of the, uh, the the younger players that have that are going to be finding their way up, and obviously for different situations. But uh, Riley Pint will uh, obviously is now with the Rockies. Uh, Michael Tolia is, is on his way. What are the expectations on two of the Rockies' very top prospects as they uh, get to Coors Field this time around? Yeah, I think for Riley Pint. Um, for those who aren't familiar with his story, he was their top prospect, their top draft pick in 2016, and then Fourth he around, had right. a lot of, and he had a lot of their, uh, a lot of mental problems. In 2021, he retired because the game got too much for him. He needed to step back. He came back in 2022 for new attitude. And the Rockies, since he have, has come back, they haven't put a lot of pressure on him. They kind of just been letting him do his own thing. Um, they were kind of waiting to see, like, what's he going to stick this out? And once they realized that, then they started, you know, they put him in major league camp last year. They kind of started to boost him a little bit more. But, I mean, my expectation for Pint is that he'll get an inning or two in, and then he'll probably be sent back down. I don't think he is going to be a consistent part of the bullpen quite yet. Um, he still has some inconsistencies to work out. He's still a little erratic at times. But 
his stuff is still as good as it was. I mean, he still has first-round draft caliber stuff. Um, as for Michael Toglia, um, I think what they want to see is him take a step forward from where he was last year. He's a guy who has the power. He's a switch hitter. He's got fantastic defense. But he has got to cut that strikeout rate down if he's going to be a daily major leaguer. I think he's only here temporarily because it doesn't sound like C.J. Crone's injury is that serious. Oh, no. But this will be a good little test for him to see has he made the improvements that they need to see him make before they can make him a consistent part of the roster. Uh, last question from me, and it uh, has to do with what we saw from Lambert uh, the other night after uh, Feltner went out of the game. And uh, I was impressed uh, does he get now a longer look, or do we need to see more of him out of the bullpen first? So the thing with Peter is he is on a season-long pitch count because he hasn't pitched essentially in three years. He hasn't right. gone through full season in four years. Right. So they are trying to protect him as much as possible. So his daily pitch count when he goes out is three innings, about 50 pitches, give or okay. take here and there. So I would not see him start. They're trying really hard to avoid that because then they're going to have to add another long reliever to the bullpen and they don't have anybody available. But I think right now he is their long man until they can switch somebody out of the rotation. Coming into this series, Danielle, and last one for me, thank you for the the time. They have these three against Cincinnati before they go on the road. Connor Seabold on tonight against Hunter Green. Uh, How important is this team? Is there a belief that, you know, they come in and, and win two out of three or maybe even sweep this series? Uh, that they can get back to 500. And when you're talking about uh, their belief, I also want to know about your belief. Do you think they can get back to 500? So, I mean, in terms of their belief, they've never believed that they weren't a point five hundred team. You know, they always thought that they had a chance to, you know, compete with the big dogs. So I don't know if they ever necessarily lost that fate. They definitely got frustrated there during that stretch in April. From my point of view, I'm not... I think they could probably get back to point five hundred. I'm not convinced that they could stay there. But I think a lot will depend on how the starters do. I mean, that's my biggest question mark right now. If they can keep rolling, given everything else that's gone wrong for them, I think that they'll be fine. But if these starters who don't have a lot of major league experience or being paced off waivers because they're so desperate for arms right now, if they can't hold it together, then there's no way they're going to be a point five hundred team. She is Danielle Allen Tuck. Make sure you follow her on Twitter at D underscore Allen Tuck. And check out everything's to put it together at the Denver Gazette. Uh, these things are uh, turning around maybe a little bit down on 20th and Blake. Uh, the fans certainly think so. Better attendance and getting warmer. So uh, maybe a little bit of time to check them out, especially the young guys. Uh, while they're here, at least. Danielle, thanks for the update on, on the team uh, from top to bottom. Thanks, guys. All right, thank you, Danielle Allentuck, joining us. Uh, Sandy, fans are buying in a little bit. I, I would say, you know, as it gets to be uh, uh, May, the weather's better and people come out, but the weather was not exactly great this weekend, right? Their previous home series against the Brewers, which uh, they ended up winning, 23,601 on average uh, this last weekend, of which uh, you were, I guess we take Sandy Clough out of there. There was 32,122 on average. So, I mean, they're, yeah. they're, I, uh, I'm not that's, sure That's about a big jump. They announced a by, by quite some margin, a, a bigger crowd Saturday night than for Mother's Day yesterday. And I know the weather wasn't great, but it was kind of threatening Saturday, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that there were 34,000 there Saturday. I, I, I thought, actually, from what I could glean on television, I was at the game Saturday night. I don't think there's any way there were 34,000 people there. Uh, but 
yesterday, if it was right around 30, I could buy that. And that's what they announced, 30000 and change, uh, I guess. And uh, uh, to be perfectly blunt, half the people were pulling for the Phillies. Yep. There was a much, much louder reaction when the Phillies did something good on Saturday night than there was when the Rockies Saturday came was back. the big night, 34,006. Yeah, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I think the crowd was bigger yesterday, but um, sounded like the announcers did too, from what I could uh, gather from uh, the parts of the game that I was watching. I, I guess say what you will. Uh, uh, look, the, the Rockies but, but aren't going case, anywhere. Yeah, yeah, you know, I didn't even think that their loss uh, Saturday was that bad. And again, I thought Lambert was kind of the bright spot, went three and a third on just 43 pitches, Gave up two hits, no runs, strikeout five. Excellent outing. And I I understand uh, Daniel's point about how they don't want to stretch him out as as far as it would take to give him a start. But uh, I think the if long man role three makes or some four sense. innings, if you can keep him around 50 pitches, and he's at 43 for three and a third mm-hmm. the other night, I I thought he was terrific. Well, he, had, he had good command. Uh, mixed his pitches. I I thought he was excellent. Give Bud Black some some credit for that because even in in yesterday's game, uh, you saw Justin Lawrence stay in for an extended amount of time. Well, this, two the, innings. Yeah, uh, this this well, wasn't necessarily a uh, a situation well, in I which he throw hard. Uh, he, he, he was. He I was told you I told y'all. And throws yesterday, that, and he looks like he throws that he has some kind of idea where the ball is going when mm-hmm. he throws. Yeah, which is that, that, always. Nice hook he has against right-handers that kicks out to the outside is just filthy. Riley Pint, by the way, that's a new pitch in baseball. By the way, the sweeper. Yep, they call it sweeper. It's a the, kind of like the slider was somewhere uh, thirty years around ago. these parts. Steve Reed is looking and going, "You're welcome, everybody," because yes. yes. it's the I same pitch. He threw a sweeper. Yep, it's yeah. the same pitch. Riley Pint this year a seven point four one ERA in thirteen innings, uh, a WHIP of over two in Albuquerque. So uh, the, the expectation probably there that Danielle said is probably right. Uh, probably up for a little bit and then back down for the work. Uh, Michael Tolia, by the way, 257, though with eight home runs already in Albuquerque as well, getting closer there. Uh, Tolia last night, they went with uh, Mike Wustakis at first, was after C.J. Crone uh, suffered his injury. There are other options on the team to go that way, including uh, potentially you know Chris Bryant. There are ways that you can go, but it's... Um, I'll say this. I'll say this for the Rockies. How's this? They are one and a half games behind the San Diego Padres in the West. One and a half behind the Padres. And, uh, or pardon me, two. Half game two. behind, half, two. Half game behind right. the Giants, two behind the but, Padres. But they've won six out of ten, and the Padres have lost seven out of ten. What this stretch has done is not bring the Rockies any close to first place. No. In fact, they've fallen back because Correct. the Dodgers have been hot winning 8 out of 10, and the Dodgers now opening up a three-game lead. It'll be 10 games in a month. But the Rockies and it'll be a runaway. But the Rockies have pulled to within two games of third place right. and within six games of second in the division. So that's Disappointing season for the Rockies, stuff. you bet. But the payroll is 179. To be only two ahead of the Rockies when your payroll is $246 million, like the Padres are behind only the Mets and the Yankees? Ouch. Now, uh, here's the, uh, I, I won't say bad news, sobering news. National League from top to bottom is probably not quite as strong at the top as the American League, but there really aren't, now that the Cardinals have started to win games, right. 
there aren't any bad teams in the National League. Really, I mean, really bad teams. And other than the Cardinals, the Rockies are behind everybody else in the National League. So if if, if you're going out to the bar, as I did on uh, Saturday night for the first time seeing the Rockies in person this year, and you're looking at individuals and you're looking at different things and you're very entertained by Bryce Harper, who whatever you may think of him otherwise – is a magnificent hitter. I like Bryce Harper. And that line drive home run he hit the other night that bounced off of the facade of the second deck, that would still be going if not for that facade getting in the way. That was on the rise. That was going well over 500 feet. That It wasn't a moonshot like Mantle used to hit. But I'll tell you what, he has, from the left side of the plate, a swing like Mantle's. And the, the funny thing was uh, the guy pitching to him threw him a fastball on the first pitch. Four-seamer, 96 and a half miles an hour, blew it past him. Throws the same pitch, which I guess I do too, on the second pitch. He fouls it straight back. The mistake is throwing him a Don't pitch a third time. He timed it up, and he was waiting for it, and it was the same velocity, and he hit a rocket. <laughs> The, uh, I mean, I I thought uh, I thought it would go right through the facade. As they say in baseball, the uh, the exit velo is not the same as the uh, way it came in. Mm, <laughs> no, <laughs> the Rockies, by the way, in case you were curious, fourteenth in the major leagues in payroll. The Cardinals, you mentioned getting around, they're sixteenth. But but I say nice. you can you can watch and and I say this all the time. To, you know, people talk about well, the fans should boycott uh, because uh, do what you uh, want to do. The ownership's incompetent. I don't get into let, telling listen, people to do your money. I, there are different things to watch. When you go to a ball game, and uh, you know, I I probably go to fifteen twenty per year now because they 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 aren't by and large a good product, but there's some interesting individual stories, and you know, nine of the last thirteen games they've won, so product hasn't been that bad. The last it's hot, I two guess. two and a half weeks. Yeah. Thanks to Daniel Allen Tuck for joining us. D. Allen Tuck, D underscore Allen Tuck on Twitter and Denver Gazette. I'll check in with them. Hey, when they're playing well, we'll give them a little bit of attention. You know who's playing well, and we're giving them a lot of attention. The Denver Nuggets will take a look at their history with the Lakers. What, if anything, it means next on Mile Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. The Nuggets have an 8-25 record in playoff history against the Los Angeles Lakers. That said, you know what that means? Nothing. There no, are five really players returning in this series from the Western Conference Finals That's in the all? bubble only a couple years yeah. ago. So Just LeBron James and Anthony Davis on the Lakers. Just Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, and Michael Porter Jr. on the Nuggets. And That's to be honest, it. Porter was pretty much a bit player in right. 2020. So uh, four players of significance from back in 2020 remain. And, of course, Porter now plays a much greater role than he did back then. On the One Nuggets. other player is uh, involved, but not in the way you'd think. One of the guys that, <laughs> that, right. that tasked in defending Jamal Murray and cooling off Bubble Murray, yeah. 
now plays alongside him. That's right. Contavious Caldwell Pope. Who, who was a le- starter. He, he was, was not a reserve. Not he only was a, a starter, starter, but Lakers. in the playoffs, he was their third leading scorer right. in 2020, Contavious right. Caldwell Pope. Well, uh, yes, and, uh, you know, you think about uh, that series back in 2020 in Orlando. Uh, this is game five, the game that ended the series. LeBron, 38, 16, and 10 with one steal. Davis, 27, 5, and 3 with two steals and a block. And uh, Contavious Caldwell-Pope had two points, a rebound, two steals in 26 minutes as the starting Laker lead guard. Uh, Jokic had 27, and 5 with three steals for Denver. Jeremy Grant, whatever happened Mm -hmm. to him, 20 points, nine rebounds, uh, one assist, one steal, one block. And uh, Murray uh, had trouble. Caldwell-Pope did a good job on him. 19 points, four rebounds, eight assists, a steal, but five turnovers forced largely by Contavious Caldwell-Pope. So that that was the last series between the two teams. They met in 2012. Uh, the Nuggets got down in that series three games to one. That was post-Carmelo. And uh, Kobe, Andrew Bynum, and Pau Gasol starred, and it came down to a seventh game. The Nuggets forced uh, a game seven by winning games five and six in game five. JaVale McGee played the game of his life at uh, what was then Staples Center. 27 points, 14 rebounds, one assist, and two block shots. And in the seventh game, the Nuggets were down by 15 with just under six minutes left in a third quarter. They went on a 24-5 run, led by four with under 10 and a half left, and the Lakers spurted to the finish and won 96-87. And Kobe Bryant was an innocent bystander in that game, did nothing. But Gasol, who to me is one of the five most underrated players I've ever seen, get this line, 23.17 rebounds, six assists, a steal, and four blocks. Yikes. Oh, by the way, he wasn't the center. Andrew Bynum was mm-hmm. 16 points, 18 rebounds, one assist, one steal, and six blocks. The Nuggets lost that game because they had 10 of their shots blocked by Gasol and Byron. Now, that's not as much of a concern in this case, although Davis can obviously block shots. But some of the things are similar. Um, The Nuggets did not have a center at the time. Forget about having anybody close to Jokic. They did not have a center at the time. Yeah, like actually a legitimate center. Now, go back to 2020, though, and, and find out where some things, as you pointed out correctly, I think earlier in the show, that... Nikola Jokic was not the Nikola Jokic is now, even a few years ago. Because since then, he's won two MVPs, probably should have won a third. He's been the best player in the playoffs. It's not even close. The challenges for Jokic to stop Davis are the same. And Davis had a terrific series against the Nuggets in 2020. I mean, he was phenomenal. Uh, it's 31.2 points to 6.2 boards over those uh, over those five games. Now, he doesn't take the threes the way he used to. He, nevertheless, there's not really a lot the Nuggets can do defensively against Davis. That's a concern. Uh, Jokic can slow him down. Jokic can make life, life difficult. There is no one off the bench that you can really deploy that can do anything to slow down Anthony Davis. That's one of my biggest concerns. But let's consider this. The idea was that in that series, oh, well, you know, he had Nikola Jokic versus Anthony Davis. Remember, Anthony Davis got in foul trouble at times, and he still mm-hmm. does that. 
it was easy to forget. For a lot of the games, Dwight Howard was in, and Dwight yes. Howard, with that size and length, could exactly bother right. Nikola Jokic. And guess what? When Dwight Howard got in goal fan foul trouble, they brought in, well, you mentioned him, JaVale McGee. Yep. So they had three seven-footers. They did. Who could they slow did. down Jokic. This team does not yeah. have that at all. No, the next no. guy is Jared and Vanderbilt. More, and he's starting as, I, a, as a four. I would submit, and Davis was magnificent go in that Bomber? series, offensively and defensively. He was magnificent. However, you want to know who really wore down Jokic? It was Dwight, it was Howard, Dwight Howard, who didn't have to worry yep. about fouls because he wasn't playing enough yep. to worry about Big, fouls. Long, physical. And, you know, he'd give you seven to ten points, seven to ten rebounds, and a lot of leaning on Jokic. Uh, and then you'd bring Davis in. You could spot in McGee. And it, it was it was a triumvirate of Lakers, much as it was in 2012, the two Laker bigs, Gasol and Andrew Bynum, who in the last game, as I mentioned, combined for 39 points, 35 rebounds, seven assists, two steals, and 10 blocks. I mean, how, how are you going to beat that? Uh, Kobe Bryant was the fourth or fifth best player on the court that night at best. Al Harrington of the Nuggets had 24. Uh, Ty Lawson had a great game, 24 points. McGee had six points and 14 rebounds with five blocks in a really, really good game seven performance. But they they didn't I said they didn't have a center. JaVale McGee was their best center at that point. And frankly, I think JaVale McGee, maybe not right now, but certainly in let's say 2020, mm-hmm. and I would say even here with the Nuggets when he came back for a brief time, was a better basketball player than he was back back then. That uh, uh, back then he could hit the heights, but he could also disappear as he did the following year in 2013 against uh, the Golden State Warriors. Uh, and so it, it's interesting to watch how the bigs have had an impact uh, through the years uh, when they began Kareem versus Dan Issel in 1979. Uh, then by 85, it was, it was Kareem against uh, kind of a, three-headed nugget monster at the center position uh, with the Wayne Cooper, uh, Dennis on Danny Shays. Uh, then you get the 2008, and it was basically Nene, Marcus Camby. Uh, 2009, uh, kind of a combination of, uh, of people. Um, and, and that series in 09, if you remember, the first, uh, that was a six-team series, the first three games Carmelo Anthony was every bit as good as Kobe Bryant. And that was at a time, it was kind of like Ty Lawson and Steph Curry in 2013, where Anthony was clearly reaching his peak, at least as an offensive player. And it wasn't clear that Kobe was a much better player than Carmelo until you watched the final three games of that series when Carmelo went three for 16, nine for 23, and six for 17, and shot like James Harden shoots in big games and proved himself to be utterly unworthy as a big game player and as a great all-around player. He was awful the last three games. But for the first three games, if you didn't know what you know now about Carmelo and the late, great Kobe Bryant, you would say they're, they're interchangeable. One's just as good as the other, and at times one's a little better, and at other times the other guy's a little better. There, there, there's no difference. 
So it, the, these were in some ways, uh, you know, talking about some of the all-time greats mm-hmm. who have participated in this robbery. Right. Sure. And, Over the really course of history, sure. And, and, and even on the Nugget side with the likes of uh, Issel and, you know, David Thompson when David was still playing Alex at the English. top of his game, Alex English. Matt you know, Lever. you're talking about Hall of Famers. And uh, you're dealing, of course, I, to me, uh, I I think Pau Gasol belongs on the list of, at the very least, the five or ten most underrated basketball players in the history of the game. And I, I'm glad he this year got his due, was honored uh, by the Lakers, uh, and appropriately so. Um, I'll tell you who thought Pau Gasol was plenty great. Kobe Bryant. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Brian and, and Gasol were tight. You know that Kobe and Shaq did not get along. Uh, we do know that. Uh, Kobe <laughs> and Pau Gasol not only got along on the court, they got along off the court, too. And Kobe had tremendous respect for Pau Gasol. In fact, it was the acquisition of Pau Gasol that ended a period that had gone on for several years in which Kobe was demanding to be traded away from the Lakers. Even when Phil Jackson came back, in his view, the Lakers weren't good enough. But they got Pau Gasol, and then all of a sudden they were champions again. Two times over. Funny how that works sometimes, huh? And Pau Gasol was the difference. History between the Nuggets and the Lakers is not good. But there are reasons to believe that this time it's going to be different. We'll take a look at this matchup in Game 1 next on our Milo Sports. Well, I wonder what it's like to be the rainmaker. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. The Lakers are in town, notably though, because I, I talked about the uh, difference between players available to guard Nikola Jokic. Mo Bamba, not at today's practice, not at all, even in Denver. He's back in LA getting a platelet-rich plasma injection in his ankle. And uh, he will have a follow appointment on Tuesday and hopefully will rejoin the uh, team in time for the game. Uh, that, that's important because there are only so many guys available that are big to guard Nikola Jokic. And earlier today, Sandy, when when asked about it, Darvin Ham, uh, the Lakers coach, asked about the best way to defend against Nikola Jokic and to get the idea of uh, where he has been. And, I mean, historic for this playoff run actually doesn't even describe it. We, we could get into the advanced metrics all you want. Uh, Ham had it on the button. He said, quote, try to catch him out of his house and kidnap him. I mean, that's that's where that was. That's the Lakers coach trying to tell no, you how unguardable. you can stop Darvin Ham is saying what everybody has come to know that, that Nikola Jokic is effectively unguardable. You can't double or triple team him. He'll pick you apart like a quarterback, a great quarterback. He'll, he'll take apart a team that just blitzes him all the time. Just pick him apart. And if you single cover him, you'll just get into foul trouble and he'll get his points and he'll still get his assist. I mean, there's just no good way uh, to really even slow him down. What you can do uh, is run a combination of people at him, even some smaller guys, and it wouldn't shock me, especially with uh, 
the Lakers not having much depth uh, when it comes to bigs. Not bigs. Um, yeah. That uh, in certain situations, uh, LeBron might guard Jokic. I, I could see it. And and this this would be one of the, the challenges. He's strong enough to do it. Now, yes. Jokic outweighs him. But only by twenty five or thirty. Yeah, he's pounds. strong enough. He knows what he. Yeah, I mean, he knows what he's doing. Uh, I I get that. Yeah, I, th- I think you could see it in in certain situations, but I, I think Jokic's ability to get guys into foul trouble is going to be immensely Absolutely. important in this series Absolutely. because you know you look behind Davis. Uh, they signed Tristan Thompson for the playoffs. Uh, he, he's a possibility, but he he just hasn't played. What do you mean, Sean? But he Tristan, hasn't played. Like, Tristan Thompson has never slowed Nicole Jokic. Down. Well, no, no, no. I'm not talking about that. I, I'm and talking then, about a guy who just come in and lean oh, on him and foul him. A no, few he doesn't times. play right. Uh, Mo Bamba's too slight. If he yeah. if he plays at all, he's still getting no. And he hasn't been playing either. Therapy. No, they. Uh, you, you you know, M- Malone has shortened his bench, but every coach does that, and even more extremely than Malone has in some cases. The the Lakers. Uh, the other night, and uh, I want to get this right. Uh, it, remember, this was a blowout game. They won by 21, but they were ahead by more than that for much of the third quarter and the entirety of the fourth quarter. Right. Hachimura and Walker were the only guys who got minutes. One got 16, the other got 14. It is a game they got, had in the bag. Uh, Reeves, 39 minutes. Russell, 41 minutes. Uh, Schurter, 25 minutes, and it would have been more, but he got thrown out of the game on two techs. James, 43 minutes. Remember, they won by 21. Mm-hmm. He missed five minutes of the game. And, you know, three of them came at the end when they took the starters out finally. And Davis played 40 minutes. So it, it this is not a deep Laker team, although their bench is better because Hachimura is one of the guys they got at the deadline. And remember, they got Russell Vanderbilt, Hachimura, and Beasley, mm-hmm. old friend Malik Beasley, for essentially Russell Westbrook and a protected first rounder. Yeah. Robbery. What, what, Brilliantly uh, done. What a series of moves made by Rob Palenka uh, at the deadline. But it's not like they play eight or nine guys. They don't. So, you know, Bamba, okay, that's, that's a guy who uh, I guess you could look at. But I, I think they'd probably go to Tristan Thompson anyway. If Davis got in foul trouble and they didn't want to put Vanderbilt or LeBron on Jokic, I mean they they simply can't afford that Davis in foul trouble. And that's the, Jokic, who used to be inclined to get into foul trouble every now and then. Jokic never is in foul trouble anymore. Not never. usually. And and in this in this uh, playoffs, the the Lakers have nine guys averaging double figure minutes. Malik Beasley just under that uh, with nine himself. But yeah, if you aren't playing ten minutes or more a game, you're not right? Really you're not really a, a major factor. You're just a garbage. Time. But I mean, it is going. It's going nine deep. You know, with guys going more than mm-hmm. ten minutes per. So, yeah. but he didn't the other night, and no. that was the big game of the year for them. Right. They had to win that game, and even when it was well in hand. Um, the always estimable Mark Jackson was questioning why the starters were in, and I have to admit, in this case, I agreed with Mark Jackson. I didn't understand why they had to have Davis in there up until there were only three minutes left in the game. But the game was over after especially, especially knowing that Anthony Davis is, yeah, um, durability is a question mark. Yeah, I, I didn't quite understand that, and I thought he could have used more guys than he did, but 
he used who he used. And and I think probably the thought was, hey, it's Friday and we're not playing till Tuesday. If it had been Sunday somehow and they had been 30 points ahead after three quarters and had to play Tuesday, I think those guys would have been sitting for a majority of the minutes in the fourth quarter. But uh, even LeBron after the game said, we're not playing till Tuesday, so it doesn't make any difference whether I play 43 or 33 or 40 or 30. doesn't matter because we're off tomorrow and we'll practice Sunday and travel Monday. The Nuggets, by the way, only have, when we know about their bench, which is three guys, Bruce Brown, Christian Brown, Jeff Green, depending on the game. Nobody else plays more than 3.3 minutes a game on average. This Reggie Jackson, the 3.3, yeah. Peyton wants his three. I mean, purely garbage time. But but this but is, he is playing eight guys. Yeah, yeah it, really it is, is a fascinating yeah. matchup, though, because when you look at these, you know, is there, yes, you put Aaron Gordon on LeBron James and open the best. If Aaron Gordon is off, Bruce Brown's a little small. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and Christian Brown is Christian too. Brown's well, a little small and a rookie, yeah. of which LeBron... Has all the has all the tricks. Um, Although earlier this year, Christian Brown was put on LeBron. Well, you might try it. In a game that was one sided, I think, in the Nuggets' right. favor. I think it was a game here. Oh, I, I don't know if and you have a Christian choice. Christian Brown did a pretty good job on it. I don't know if you have a choice. I think you have to do it. That's the problem. So uh, with, with LeBron, there's there's one guy you can put on him. In Jokic's case, there's one guy you can put on yeah. him. It's Davis. That's right. In Davis's case, there's one guy you can put on him that's Jokic. Yeah. I mean, that's the challenge. The interesting part of it. And then, although, although when Jokic is not in the game, I imagine when Jokic isn't in, Davis won't be in either. But on the chance that Davis would be in there, well, he's be and Jeff maybe Green. LeBron would be sitting. No, I think Gordon guards Davis. Maybe you put Jeff Green. You put Jeff Green. It's far away from it. You put on the Vanderbilts of the world. That's where you put yeah. Jeff Green. Jeff Green can't guard. Anybody. I understand that, but yeah, he can't move. You know, he's another guy who who can run up and down yeah. the court in a straight line. This, this but asking to move laterally, he can't do. And, that. and I, although you just to go nine, this would be the one where, and I'm not expecting much. That I think you'd like to see. I don't expect it because he really didn't play. I think you'd like to see maybe Zeke Naji go out there because he's got at least the size. That if uh, right. if if Davis is on and Jokic Andre. needs a break, that's about the only guy that Andre. makes sense for me. Well, Aaron Gordon, you touched on it. He's got to stay out of foul trouble. Has to. If he's, he's, he's got to stay out of foul and trouble. LeBron is going to try to put him in foul trouble early he's, going. He's, he's going to play. LeBron's going to drive. He's going to play. If he's not in foul trouble, he'll play as many minutes as LeBron does. Yes, and you you need Gordon to be available for 35 to 40 minutes a game. If you're going to win this series, he's he can't be in foul trouble because if he's in foul trouble, he won't play 35 to 40. And then LeBron can kind of pick his spots. And, you know, Gordon physically and athletically at this point being, I don't know, six, seven years younger, whatever 11. it is. 11 years younger. <laughs> and LeBron, yeah. Even, even more. Um he can apply some of that strength against LeBron. Uh, now, it, you know, LeBron, even at 38, is a top 10 player in the league. Uh, yes. I don't think there's any question of that. Jamal Murray, by the, I mean, pardon me, Aaron, Aaron Gordon but, played 37.2 minutes per game yeah. uh, against Phoenix, and LeBron played 37.7 against Golden again, State. Again, you know, um, 
listen, Durant's a different kind of challenge, and Gordon held up fine. But I think we can both agree that the challenge of guarding James far exceeds the challenge of guarding O. Carl Anthony Towns, certainly, for example. Certainly. And, and I don't necessarily know, to be honest, and I mean no disrespect to LeBron James. I think you could make the argument that at least from a scoring perspective alone, now LeBron is a better playmaker, uh, LeBron is a better rebounder than Kevin Durant, although both of them are, are pretty good. But from a purely scoring perspective, I think Kevin Durant today, in oh, May yeah. of 2023, yeah. oh, is a much harder cover sure. than LeBron James. Sure. Sure. Uh, I, yeah. It's, it's just a, a player with an entirely different uh, set of responsibilities. But it, you just want to make LeBron work and feel the 38 years. Right. Uh, and in, in the previous series, uh, Wiggins, I thought, was outstanding until he got hurt. And he showed remarkable resolve in even walking out there, earning the eternal respect of Draymond Green in the process. Draymond Green made it a point of quite visibly going up to Wiggins at the end of the game when the Everybody was on the bench, and the result had long since been determined. And thanking Wiggins for having the guts to play at all. And Green basically said afterward, I've never seen anything like it. The guy had a broken rib. Yeah. He, he, he should have been out a month or two. And he plays in the next game. That's remarkable. But that that's the good news for the Nuggets, that Wiggins – did a reasonably good job of doing about all you can with LeBron, and that's making him a little more inefficient than he normally would be. That's really the hope. It, it's a reduction in efficiency that may, that may make the biggest amount of difference. May, make him take 20 shots to get 20 points. We will obviously talk more about this as the week goes along. We'll have uh, Brian Blackburn tomorrow to break it down and uh, a bevy of guests talk about the Nuggets as they take on the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. Thank you to Danielle Allen Tuck for joining us. D underscore Allen Tuck on Twitter. Denver Gazette, touch and base. On the Rock, he's playing well before we, well, quite frankly, forget about him for a week and a half. While the Nuggets and Lakers keep going, that's what we'll be doing. Thanks to Danny Bailey and Andrew Detmer in the booth, making us look and sound good. We're going to hand things off to our friends at Afternoon Drive, Anilo Piro and Cody Rourke. They'll be up with more. For Sandy Clough, I'm Sean Drotar. Thanks for listening. Keep it right here on Mile High Sports. 